There's a financial crime out there that banks are well aware of, but one where there's no physical victim. What is it? Synthetic fraud. And it's become a major problem for banks who are losing millions of dollars to criminals who manage multiple identities with something as simple as a mobile phone. What can banks do about this problem? To find out, this week we'll be talking with Colin Carvey of TransUnion. Welcome to BAI Banking Strategies, where each week we'll focus on the key issues facing financial services leaders. We'll bring you objective opinions and actionable insights that'll help you power smart decisions. I'm your host, Lou Carlozo, the managing editor of BAI. Come on in. Thanks for listening to the first season of the BAI Banking Strategies podcast. This is the last episode of season one, but we're only taking a tiny break. Season two kicks off April 17th, and we'll discuss Atlanta's burgeoning fintech scene and a new Technology Association of Georgia fintech report on data analytics and big data in financial services, which we hope you find interesting no matter where you and your business reside. As always, this podcast can be heard on Apple's podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And for the last episode of the season, we're going out on a high note. We have Colin Carvey. Colin serves as Vice President Identity Solutions at TransUnion in Beaverton, Oregon. Colin oversees business development, operations support, and the creation and delivery of products that use analytics to help complex organizations quickly discern good customers and transactions from the bad. And Colin, great to have you on the program today. Thanks for having me, Lou. When I anchored the payment stage at BAI Beacon this past October, there was one presentation that blew me away, and that was yours, because you talked about this area of synthetic fraud. It was a real education for me. Maybe you can explain for listeners the difference between synthetic fraud and identity theft. Absolutely. Identity theft is where I'm stealing someone's identity. It's where I'm taking your identity, Lou, and I'm using that to perpetrate fraud. Using your data, your data elements, I leverage those data elements to go and commit fraud against you. I now have a victim. That victim is you. And you will report it if when you notice it. From a synthetic perspective, I'm not using your elements. I'm creating elements. I might be using pieces of your elements, but it's not going to impact you. And the reason why that's important and why fraudsters target synthetic is because if I can create elements and I can create a credit profile based on some of your data, maybe some of my data, there's no victim to sit here and report the fraud. It gets hidden in losses. It seems shocking to me that this is something that's almost on the back burner compared to identity theft. I mean, why do you think it is that banks aren't quite in that vigilant space with this that they could be in. It's not front of mind for them because it goes through in their collection losses. They're used to seeing charge off at a certain rate. There's nobody there to yell and say, I've got a problem. I think the other thing is, is as you look at trying to define synthetic, who's there to say what is synthetic and what's not? And that's a very difficult thing for financial institutions to understand is if I can't define it, how do I identify it? Mm -hmm. So how long has this been around, really, and what extent has technology played in making it grow? 
Yeah, so I think from our perspective on the TransUnion side, we've seen it grow year over year, and especially in the last five years. We've seen it grow as much as 10% each year, um, and that's compiling, that's compounding, right, from the perspective of 10% on top of 10% on top of 10%. That gets large really quick. So if we think about EMV chip cards, for example, and the introduction of that, we had in the financial institutions basically control over counterfeit fraud. It was where we expected it to be and where we wanted it to be, and we knew how to manage that. We have 30 years' experience in that space. Well, when we introduce chip, that counterfeit fraud goes away. And fraudsters probably have a podcast similar to what we're giving that educates <laughs> other people on how do you commit fraud, right? And so they're sitting there strategizing. And they're like, where do we go? And where they've gone and where we've seen them go is account takeover. We see that increase. They go to card not present transactions, online transactions. But the other big space that they're hitting and hitting heavily is application fraud. And synthetic is one way to do that. There was one incredible statistic that you cited, $79.99 investment to get started with a synthetic identity and ill-gotten gains exceeding $100,000 on average. These statistics seem incredible to me, but they are true. I mean, tell me what's the basis for this and what's that initial investment getting you and what are you cooking up as a result? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think when you think about that, the $80 is... That's the guy who's lazy. That's the guy who's going out and buying an identity that's already semi-groomed. I spend that $80, I get a semi-established profile. I then leverage that, and my job as a fraudster is to grow that over time. Like, how do I get the most out of that? What's my biggest bang for my buck? And what we're seeing is $100,000, yeah, that's average. We've seen them go well above that. Um, we have one specific instance where we've seen it, $107,269.63. So an exact figure. Now, that's one identity. These guys are very disciplined. They are managing 20 identities. They have them in various life cycles through the identity management process that they go through. They're very disciplined. And so each month, they're cashing out on that. Yeah, they might invest $80, and I would say that's on the expensive side for these guys. And they're going to extrapolate $100,000 out of that identity. Yeah, if you think about the model of a crime network, for example, there may be one person sitting at the top who has a bunch of people underneath them that are stealing. But the incredible twist on that is that this is one person sitting in control of a bunch of people who don't exist that are doing all the hard work for them. And that is stunning. It's sobering. I wonder if you could clarify for me the particular role that the mobile channel might be playing in this and why that's of particular concern and interest to you? Our ability and our desire to use the mobile channel um, has increased the usage of the mobile channel. The fraudsters have been in that space for a long time. That non-in-person, not having to do that transaction in person is really empowering for the fraudsters because they can manage 10 IDs in one little sitting. A lot of people in the risk space and fraud space will say, oh my goodness, internet's a problem. I have a ton of fraud in that space and it's a super risky channel. I would argue that driving consumers and good consumers onto the digital channel can actually help you because you can differentiate and do a better job in splitting between the bad guys and the good guys if you have them coming in through a digital channel. Because what it does is it allows you to have more data on that consumer. That digital device provides you with a ton of data elements of where are they transacting. It gives you data on what is the device and how is that working, right? And what can I do with that device? I've also got, you know, 
behavioral patterning of how they're navigating through your site or some other site. And that is all extremely powerful. What other action points would you advise banks to look closely at as they take up the battle against synthetic fraud? It comes down to the data that we have and looking at normal patterns of behavior. On the data we have, so digital was a great example of that, where I've got information on that mobile transaction. I can tie PII and information to that device. What's the velocity on that, right? And what's the behavior on that? That helps me identify synthetic behavior. But if I also look at behaviors in the credit building process, how are they establishing credit? That data and that information is what becomes key in trying to differentiate somebody who's synthetic and somebody who's starting to build credit. From your perch at TransUnion, what are some of the most exciting things that you're seeing or working on in terms of the synthetic fraud issue? As we look at patterning behaviors, that's what's most exciting from my perspective, is to be able to see how we can identify synthetic fraud and how we can try and crunch down what I would call the false positives in trying to understand how can we get as tight as we can on identifying true synthetic. It's a very hard problem for somebody like a credit bureau to do because we can't say definitely a synthetic. And the bank has a hard time saying definitely synthetic because the synthetic guy is not going to tell you I'm synthetic. But I think trying to refine that and get better and better at that I think is really important and I think where TransUnion is investing a ton of time and energy. In addition to that, we are working with government agencies and other folks in the industry to try and understand how, as an industry, can we try and solve this problem. Because I'm very passionate about it. I think it's an issue for us. I think it's perpetrating terrorist activity and financing terrorist activity, which I think is extreme and terrible, and we need to try and solve for it. Um, so from my perspective, what we're doing as an industry and how we're thinking about the problem is what I'm most excited about. It sounds like you're working on it, banks are thinking about it, but that there can be a tremendous impact if there's a team effort. Fraudsters are very creative. Um, we've got to keep diligent, and we've got to keep trying to bring process and understanding to the industry as to how we stop it. I'm a big believer that fraud is not a competitive edge and shouldn't be a competitive edge. I think a lot of folks will say that, but then transferring and giving up data and trying to share data is very problematic for the financial institutions. If we were able to do more sharing and we were able to share more data across and say, hey, here's fraud that I've seen. I've, I've done some research. I've done some investigation. Careful with this guy. That's going to slow down these guys. Again, they'll strategize and they might go somewhere else. They might focus more on CNP. But it does put up those hurdles in front of them to rethink their strategy around creating these identities that right now are getting lost in the mix. So it sounds like if I were going to project out in the very near term, six months to a year, that really it will be about slowing down any sort of progress that the fraudsters hope to make. The first point, synthetic fraud, it's growing. It's becoming the financial fraud of choice. And if we don't do something about it, that's going to continue, right? And it will grow and it will continue to grow. I think point number two is this is not just a big bank problem, and it is not just a credit card problem. This goes well beyond that. We are seeing this type of fraud happen now in the auto industry, where they're going and taking six cars in one day. That's incredible. They are looking at this well beyond just credit card and big bank fraud. They're looking for other avenues to do this. 
we believe that it's probably happening in the IRS as well. Synthetic IDs, why am I not going to get a tax return on that? Point number three would be internally at a lot of the institutions, these losses are kind of the hot potato. Collections, losses, is I'm going to call and I'm going to try and get somebody on the phone. The risk team's like, I'm managing my losses. It's all built into my models. And the fraud team's like, well, it's not really fraud. It's collections charge-off. It's not fraud charge-off. It matters because we need to solve for it, and we've got to find the right tools to do that. Colin, thank you so much for being on the program. It was great to have you make time in your busy schedule and stop by BAI. Thank you, Lou. Appreciate it. Colin Carvey serves as Vice President Identity Solutions at TransUnion in Beaverton, Oregon. Be sure to look Colin up on LinkedIn and be sure to check out the article on BAI Banking Strategies Online by Howard Altman. Fake Folks, Real Threat, How Synthetic Fraud Fools Financial Institutions. And here are three key takeaways from today's podcast. Number one. There's a big difference between synthetic fraud and identity theft. With synthetic fraud, there are no customers compromised and therefore no one to report the problem to a bank or financial institution. Normal authentication methods simply don't work in trying to catch synthetic fraud. Therefore, banks have to take a hard look at where fraud might be occurring and how best to tackle it. Number two, in the near term, there is much that banks can do in joining forces with big data companies and credit bureaus. Synthetic fraud can be committed through a single mobile channel where multiple identities are managed, but hurdles can be placed in front of synthetic fraudsters to slow down their progress. And number three, recognize that synthetic fraud is a significant problem that doesn't just affect big banks or small financial institutions, it runs across the board. A synthetic ID can be used for everything from obtaining a phony IRS refund to purchasing multiple cars. Synthetic fraud won't be eliminated overnight or completely, but with dedicated teamwork, there's promise for bringing synthetic fraud to manageable levels. And while we're not doing an April Fool's podcast to close out season one, I do like to laugh. Would you believe that there is a banking portal online called Redneck Bank. That's right, Redneck Bank. <laughs> and their uh, trademark motto is, where banking's funner. Yet it turns out Redneck Bank has some serious banking roots. 1927 Oklahoma, when its parent bank, now All-America Bank, was founded by T.C. Huckabee. Here, T.C.'s grandson, Wade Huckabee, talks about the genesis of Redneck Bank and how it's gone over with customers so far. So I sat down with a dictionary and a thesaurus and got in front of my computer and did that for 14 hours straight. And after about 12 hours of that time, Redneck Bank popped out as a possibility. So I compiled 130 bank names, took them to our officer meeting at the bank, and the oldest people in the room liked Redneck Bank the best. We started the website in 07 and did not promote it until the end of 08, and that's when we set up a single billboard. We had all the hits that went viral, and these other two websites that we were promoting as DBAs, we outdid them multiple times, and we were spending $10,000 per month per website on AmericanNet Bank and eVantage Bank 
And Redneck Bank, it became a national brand overnight without having to spend any more money than a single billboard. And if you like that, you can go to redneckbank.com and apply for one of their debit cards with a bucktooth horse on the cover. And again, I kid you not. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to Season 1 of the BAI Banking Strategies Podcast. You can catch archived episodes at BAI.org. And we'll see you on April 17th with Don Campbell to kick off Season 2. I'm Lou Carlozo, the Managing Editor at BAI. Thanks for tuning in. So long. Thank you.